You can turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, and we'll be reading from verse 7 to 11. And the theme for this morning's message is Church Life During Lockdown. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we call upon you as the righteous Father, as our Holy Father, asking that you would please meet with us as we now turn to your word. We worship you as the eternal God, without beginning or end, as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Please open our hearts, Lord, our hearts that so quickly, yes, though you have removed the heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh, so quickly our hearts get hard again, hardened by sin, and we pray that you would give us a soft heart, a tender heart, always a heart that will obey you and love you above all. In Jesus' name, Amen. So as you know, because of lockdown, we can't gather as a church. We can't come together for worship services or Bible studies or prayer meetings or men's meetings and women's meetings and so on. And yet, even though we can't gather, we mustn't forget we are still a congregation. We are still the body of Christ. So what should we do in a time like this? Well, let's see what the Apostle Peter tells us. First Peter 4 verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God, who is, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, first of all, we're going to look at a few words. The first word is prayer, and that's in verse 7. So you uh, know in South Africa, during lockdown, no alcohol for sale. And so now what people are doing, they're brewing their own beer at home, and they're even, even slipping over the border uh, of our neighboring countries to buy beer and buy other alcohol. Uh, so they're very, very... Uh, upset about this people many people are upset and they complaining because alcohol cannot be sold at this stage and they really want drink they want drink and they want the life that goes with drunkenness as in verse 3 for the time that is past suffices for doing what the gentiles want to do living in sensuality passions drunkenness orgies drinking parties and lawless idolatry but Christians are different. So as Christians, we, we live, live a different kind of life. 
Because we remember that Jesus died for our sins. Verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. And we remember there's a judgment coming. Verse 5. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And then Peter even goes further and he reminds these people, the Christians, of the end. Uh, in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Now, what on earth does he mean? Seeing that the second coming was more than 2,000 years off. Uh, the end of all things, in one sense, we'd say, well, it wasn't at hand because Jesus hasn't come yet, and it's been 2,000 years. Well, in, in Luke chapter 21, Jesus describes the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, and then he says, before that comes, there will be pestilence, there will be famine, earthquakes, wars, and also persecution. And he even goes uh, in, in detail as to describe the persecution saying you will be put out of the synagogues you will be flogged you will be handed over to governors and so on so how should how should these christians respond to jesus prophecy well he tells them in luke 21 verse 34 don't get weighed down with dissipation with drunkenness with the cares of this life with worry but what you should do is you should pray that you will have strength to stand before the Son of Man. That's exactly Peter's point in verse 7. The end of all things, I think meaning what Jesus said, the end of the old covenant, the end of the temple, and so on, is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Exactly what Jesus said. Don't get bogged down with the things of this life. Don't, don't give yourself over to drunkenness and all the rest of the things the world does. And especially this whole letter of Peter as he looks around him and he sees. But Jesus' words are being fulfilled. So he does see persecution. Lots of it, as we see. You can just read the, the letter and see all the persecution. And he sees it happening. And so he now, now he tells them, don't, don't give yourself over to sin. Don't be a person like in verse 3, sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. Don't be like that, but rather verse 7, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So what's the application for us? I think the application I draw from this is the second coming in our case. So the second coming, we say it's at hand, it's not far off. Uh, and especially in God's scheme of things, because Second Peter says to the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. So in the light of these things, as Christians, how should we live? Well, we should pray. He says in verse 7, for the sake of your prayers, be self-controlled. And to help us remember the second coming, I think it's a very good uh, thing to pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Not recite the Lord's Prayer, but use it as your pattern for prayer. Because then you, not, you won't forget that we need to pray for the Lord's Kingdom to come. Because if you expect the second coming, then you are going to live. Verse 7, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded. Um, as in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11, since these things, referring to the second coming, since all these things are thus to be dis dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Verse 14, therefore, because of the second coming, the, the teaching he just gave, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. 
First uh, John, everyone who has this hope purifies himself as Christ is pure. What hope? The hope of the second coming. And if you don't expect the second coming, well, then you are going to give yourself up to, to sexual immorality and drunkenness and other sins like we see in verse 3. Like verse 7 says, well, the opposite would be you're not self-controlled, you're not sober-minded. Like in Luke 12, verse 45, the servant who didn't expect the master to come at any time. He got drunk and beat the other servants. And yet, to be ready for the second coming is not the same as saying, oh, we are anxious, we are panicking. No, we're not panicking. We're not panicking just because there are a few crazy Christians sending around WhatsApps saying, oh, the triple six is on us and COVID-19 is the end of the world. We're not panicking. If we expect the second coming of Jesus Christ, according to verse 7, then you control yourself, you are clear-minded and sober-minded, sober in your thinking, and you calm and compose, and you give yourself to prayer. With this in mind, God is in control. But you, you, you're going to have a very difficult time being a person of prayer, if you're not sober-minded, if you don't control yourself, if you don't control yourself and you give yourself up to sin, that's going to be hard. Because chapter 3, verse 7 taught that we should live in an understanding way with other people, in that case your wife, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Chapter 3, verse 12, God's face is turned away from the wicked. His ears are not open to their prayer. He won't listen to their prayer. If you cherish sin in your heart, God will not answer your prayer. Your prayers will build a wall between, or your sin will build a wall between you and God, and your prayers won't be heard. Psalm 66, 18, Isaiah 59, verse 2. So, so why, why is prayer so important? Well, how else are you going to sidestep the landmines that Satan has placed, the landmines of persecution, the landmines of temptation. How are you going to escape that? Verse Chapter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary or adversary, the devil, prowls, prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. How will you stand if you don't pray? We need to pray, verse 7 of our text. So I want to encourage you to, to pray often, to spend time praying, to spend time in prayer. Don't wait until you feel like praying, but discipline yourself to pray. Find a time. Find a time for yourself. Say, right, when I'm fresh, my best hours, not my worst hours when I'm tired, my best hours, I'm going to spend time in prayer. Uh, and, and start with thanksgiving. Start with praise. Think of as many things as you can. Reasons you can praise God and thank God. And then especially thank Him for saving you. And then take a specific verse of Scripture, a, Bible, a passage from the Bible, read it, something strikes you, take a verse, meditate on that passage, think over it, turn it over in your mind, pray over it again, uh, turn it into prayer, and then also especially use the Lord's Prayer, as I said earlier on. Uh, the model prayer that you can use as the pattern for prayer. And then pray for yourself, pray for your family, pray for the church, pray for the leaders of the church, pray for missionaries, pray for people with special needs like the sick and like old people, pray for conversions, pray for revival, for the persecuted church, for Christians worldwide, for your family, for friends, for our country, for our government. And if you find that this, this is getting too long, 
and I don't have all this time, well then split it up into different days. On Mondays, um, I'm going to pray for the government and for missionaries and for uh, the pastor and the elders. On Tuesdays, I'll pray for my family and for conversions and for the conversion of the Jews and whatever else. And, and maybe even work in an extra time of prayer. Maybe a day of fasting. But verse 7 is not only given to the individual. Peter writes this to a group of Christians when he tells them to pray. Uh, so we also as Christians, we should pray and, and almost emphasize, I want to say, emphasize the importance of corporate prayer, of praying together as Christians, of praying, as, praying together as a congregation, as in the early church, in the book of Acts. Again and again, you see them praying together, praying together, praying together. Jesus taught us our Father, not my Father, our Father, our daily bread. So there's corporate prayer. So at the moment, at our church, we pray together. We have prayer meetings three times a week, Wednesday evenings, and then Sunday morning, Sunday evenings uh, on Skype, Facebook Messenger, and then we even record them and then send them out to the others who don't have the facilities to join us and they can listen to the prayer meetings and pray with us. Uh, so if you're part of our church, I'd encourage you to give your name or your number to Peter Duplessis. His name is in the church directory and then join us for the prayer times. Even if you if you join the prayer meeting and you don't want to pray aloud and you just listen and agree in your heart, that's fine. If you're part of another church, you don't have something like that, try and get something started. Prayer time, the importance of corporate prayer. If you don't pray with other Christians, then you have a defective prayer life. That's just plain truth. You have a defective prayer life. I don't care how much you pray on your own. It's important that we pray together as Christians all through the New Testament, that's the pattern we find. All the commands in the New Testament to pray are written to churches, not just to individuals. You cannot stand against Satan's darts, against his attacks. You cannot grow as you ought if you do not pray with other Christians. When Paul writes on the spiritual armor in Ephesians 6, he says we should pray. But he's writing to a congregation. We should pray together. So please, join a prayer meeting or start one. Second, brotherly love, verse 8 and 9. Above all, verse 8, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. There's a very great Christian writer called A.W. Tozer, and he wrote many wonderful books and I, I'm certain that he was a very godly man. But like the rest of us, he had feet of clay. He was just a man. The best of men are, been at, uh, are men at best. So his wife, after he died, his widow remarried a man called Leonard Odom. And this is what she wrote. I have never been happier in my life. Aidan, that's her first husband, A.W. Tozer, Aidan loved Jesus Christ, but Leonard Odom loves me. Now, I think in one sense we can say that's really a, a false statement to make. Um, because how can you say, oh, he loved Jesus, but he didn't love me? If you love Jesus, you'll love your neighbor. And on the other hand, or maybe in the same breath, I'd say, 
Jesus does tell us to love him above our spouse. But then I immediately want to add, it is sad and is a fact that A.W. Tozer was emotionally distant. Um, and he didn't love his wife as he ought to have done. And as Christians, we shouldn't be like that. We don't want to be like that. Don't just be verse 7, be verse 8. Don't just be spiritual, be righteous. Don't just be spiritual, but love in a practical way. And really we should love. Love should be above all else. Verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Above all, because when you die, you will no longer lead, you'll, you'll no longer need to pray. You won't need to do verse 7 anymore, but you'll keep on doing verse 8. You'll keep on loving. Faith, hope, and love, these three abide, but the greatest of these is love. And then I'd actually want to say if we really love, if we truly love, then we will do verse 7. Then we will pray. Now the, the Greek... And, and it's translated that way in the ESV, above all, keep on loving one another. The Afrikaans just says love one another earnestly, but here it says keep on. That's a correct translation. I think the idea here is, is despite the persecution, despite the suffering, despite the fact that the world hates, we should love, and we should keep on loving even in difficult times. And he calls it loving earnestly. Uh, I love the way the Afrikaans translates it. It speaks of a fiery love, a fierigeliefde. So an intense love. As, uh, there's a zeal, there's a constancy uh, to the maximum, the maximum potential of loving. Chapter 122, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So who, who should we love? Well, it says... Keep on loving one another. Uh, love your brothers. Love other Christians. So yes, of course, we should love all people. But especially the brothers, as Jesus taught us. Love one another as I have loved you. And many passages in the Bible speaks of brotherly love. Hebrews 13 verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. And that's a mark of a true Christian, right? First John says one of the marks of a true Christian is that we love the brothers. If you hate your brother, you're in darkness and you... You don't have the truth in you. How should we love? Well, it's not merely an emotion that you need to work up. This is a practical action. Practical actions. Uh, like 1 Corinthians says, love is patient, love is kind. Does not envy, does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It's not irritable or resentful and so on. Uh, serve one another through love, says Galatians 5, 13. We should bear one another's burdens. You see another Christian being overtaken by sin. In love, help that Christian. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read of bearing with one another in love. 1 John 3 speaks of practical actions, like seeing a brother in need and you help him. Sacrificing for a fellow Christian. And then he also says in verse 8, covering one another's sins, covering a multitude of sins. That doesn't mean sweeping sin under the rug. Uh, that doesn't mean, oh, ignoring Matthew 18, no church discipline. No, what it means is you, is you don't keep record of other people's sins against you. You forgive them because God doesn't keep record of your sins. He's forgiven us. He, he's wiped it away. He's covered our sins through the blood of Christ. And that's really taken from Proverbs 10 verse 12. And then another way we love one another practically is in verse 9, show hospitality toward one another without grumbling. 
Now, the Greek here literally speaks of loving strangers. And um, Hebrews 13 elaborates on that in 13 verse 2, when he speaks of hospitality. And especially, especially, I think, in the context of persecution. First Peter, you see a lot of persecution in the book. And so these Christians are fleeing, and then you've got missionaries traveling and visiting preachers at your house and house churches and so on. So especially in that context, when Christians have to flee persecution and they come to your house, open your house to them. Or visiting preachers come, open your house to them. Missionaries come. And for us the same, especially after lockdown, invite people for dinner, invite people for coffee, uh, visit one another's homes. And then if you're in a church, at our church it doesn't work that way because we have our Bible studies and prayer meetings at the church building. But maybe in your homes, open your homes to one another for prayer meetings and for Bible studies. And then, then we should also offer to have missionaries stay, stay at our house. They can, they can sleep over for the night or two or three and he says in verse 9, this hospitality, show hospitality without grumbling. Not saying, why? Why always my house? Why can't the other people do it? Why me? No, no grumbling. No grumbling, he says. Stop it. We have to show hospitality and have the right attitude as if you are hosting Jesus himself. Because Jesus said, you welcomed me into your house. And they said, when? And he said, when you done it, did it to one of the least of these brothers of mine. Now, that doesn't mean we should abuse people's generosity and abuse their hospitality. Proverbs 25 says it's possible to be in someone's house too much, and he's going to get tired of you. And this also doesn't mean, oh, just welcome anyone in your house who says he's a Christian, just because he says he's a Christian. No, Second John verse 10 says, don't do that. Don't do that. If they don't bring the teaching of the Father and the Son, don't welcome them into your houses. What this does mean is open your house to true Christians, to real brothers. But now the question comes, wait a minute, it's, it's lockdown. <laughs> How do we obey verse 9 during lockdown? All right, I'll get to that under the, the point number three. So third word is spiritual gifts, really two words. Spiritual gifts, verse 10 and 11. So in the Chronicles of Narnia, we have the Pevensey children. And at a stage in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, they receive Christmas gifts, and they receive a sword, a real sword, and a bow and arrow, and it doesn't easily miss, and an, a horn made of ivory. You can blow this horn, and help will come. And then a knife or a dagger, and then some medicine, drops of a fire flower that grows on the sunny mountains and if you use that well it'll help someone if they very ill and they'll get better so that these gifts weren't given to them as toys it was given to them as tools to help them to fight the enemy and to help their own friends and protect them and heal them and in exactly the same way god gives every christian to every christian he gives a spiritual gift so that we can build up the body and serve one another. Verse 10, as each, he says, has received a gift. So what is a spiritual gift? It's a supernatural ability. It's the ability given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we are able to do what I just said, build up the body and serve other Christians, build up other believers, build up the church. Just like you have flowers with 
many different colors. We can even take one kind of flower, a rose, but there's so many different colors. In the same way, there are so many different gifts. That's exactly what the word means, God's varied grace in the end. That varied literally means different colors. So there, there are thousands of combinations. The way God combines different gifts, thousands of combinations of different gifts that God gives to his people, just as you, you've, got, you've only got eight different notes on a piano. I know there's a very long <laughs> range. I mean, the, if you take the whole keyboard, it stretches far, but there are only eight notes. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. And you've got this endless choice of music you can make, different melodies you can make. In the same way, God has got these different combinations in different personalities. He knows exactly which combination fits which individual and which congregation. Verse 8, as each has received a gift, use it to serve God. And then he speaks again, as I said, of varied grace. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 says God gives the gifts as he pleases. 1 Corinthians 12 at least, verse 11. Verse 18 he says God has arranged each member in the, in the body as he has chosen. So these gifts, they're not ours. They're not ours. Uh, we are stewards, verse 10. We should use it as good stewards. It's like, it's like you're the manager of the restaurant, but you're not the owner. You don't own it. You just, just have to manage it for the owner. And we're not the owners of these gifts. We're the managers. We're the stewards in verse 10. So you can't just put your gift on the shelf, your spiritual gift. You have to use your gift. You have to use your gift to serve others with this grace of God that He wants to give them through you. We are stewards of God's varied grace. And if you don't use your gift, well, then the body is going to be maimed. The body is going to be defective. You have to use your gift. And now perhaps someone will say, yes, but my gift is so small, it's so unimportant. Uh, and I'm sarcastic when I say this. Do you mean your gift is so small it's, and unimportant, just like your tongue is small and unimportant, or your DNA? No, man. You, we, what we want to do is use our gifts. Use our gifts. Even if it's a small thing you do, things like just setting the table before the Lord's Supper or typing up the words for the PowerPoints or pouring tea after church or counting the money. Jesus said if you give even only a cup of cold water to one of those who belongs to him because he's a Christian, then you will by no means lose your reward. All right, now the immediate question comes then, and this answers the question I asked earlier, but what about lockdown? How do we use our gifts during lockdown? Well, first of all, you need to find out what your gift is. And all gifts can be split up in two, into two categories. One of these two can be subdivided. So either we've got speaking gifts, verse 11, whoever speaks, and then we've got serving gifts, whoever serves. You can go and check that in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. All the gifts fit into one of those two categories. So in which category are you? And how do you know? How do you know what your gift is? I, I don't think it's rocket science. It's not really hard not brain surgery. All you need to ask is, what do you enjoy doing? What do you do well? And what have other Christians testified to and say, you know, when you do that, it really helps us, you do it well. That's easy. And if you still don't know what your gift is, well, then just start doing what is urgent. Titus 3 verse 14, give yourself to 
good works and look out for cases of urgent need. And if you are faithful in small things, then you will be faithful in bigger things. And then the Holy Spirit will guide you and show you, right, this is not your gift, and eventually you'll find it. So do you have a speaking gift? Well, don't speak your own words. Speak God's words. Verse 11, whoever speaks is the one as one who speaks oracles of God. So speak God's words. When you evangelize, God's message. The gospel as we have it in scripture. When you give teaching, God's word. Explain the scriptures. When you encourage others, God's word. When you give a word of knowledge, perhaps knowledge of some topic in the Christian life or some doctrine, God's words. A word of wisdom, perhaps in a counseling situation or you need to give counsel to a friend, God's words. Verse 11, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Right? But how do you do that during lockdown? Ask God's wisdom. Please give me wisdom how to do this, Lord. I'm going to give you a couple of examples here. Uh, so you can, you can send on the sermons and you can send good sermons by men like uh, Vody Buckham or John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul or others. So send good preaching. Uh, WhatsApp, Facebook, and share it. And even share sermons that warn people against false teaching. And then lead the Bible studies. Lead, if you're a Bible study leader, a men's group, a ladies group, you can do that on WhatsApp, Facebook, YouTube, and so on. And then encouragement. Encourage people by sending them a Bible verse on WhatsApp or by calling them, ringing them, and then talking to them and just giving encouraging words, give encouraging words to them. And share what God has been teaching you through the sermons, in your quiet time, and so on. And then give counsel. Give counsel to people. If your gift is exhorting people and giving counsel to people, do it on the phone. Call them, talk to them. Are they doing well? And then give them counsel from God's word. Perhaps you don't have a speaking gift. Your gift is serving in one way or another. Well, then do that by the strength God provides. Verse 11. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So in other words, you're asking the Holy Spirit for help. You're asking Him for strength and grace so that you are able to serve. How do you do that during lockdown? Well, you can, when you go to the shop and you buy groceries, why not buy an extra packet and drop it at someone's house? And especially to the, those who are poor in our congregation. Um, and you can ask the elders and say, listen, who in the congregation has need? And what you can also do is you can pay money into the church's bank account and say, and then just reference it, lockdown, and we'll know what that's for. Needy or lockdown needs, and we know who the people are. Or if you want their names, and then you can get it from us, and you can call them and say, I'd like to pay something in your account. Can you give me your bank account number? Uh, and then not even, not even only needs. Why not just buy a gift for someone? Someone in the church, stop at their house, uh, just say, I just wanted to stop by, give this to you, and that'll be an encouragement. Or maybe, maybe drop a board game or a pack of cards at a house where there are children, and, or maybe old people and they're bored. Uh, they're really <laughs> sitting at home, no school for the kids, they've got other stuff to do, but they get bored, you know. <laughs> Perhaps something like that. Or, or why, not, why not say that I'm willing to go to the shop for some of the old people? Because they don't have transport. And call them and say, hey, I'm going to the shop. I'm going to get some stuff. Uh, you're welcome to send me a list. I'll pick up the stuff for you. 
or buy data. Everyone needs data because we're watching sermons on the internet and we're listening to sermons on the internet and we got our prayer meetings on the internet and so on. Uh, and our Bible studies. What about helping with technology? Maybe you technology savvy uh, in your congregation. In our congregation, we've got a couple of men who, who are helping with this, and even ladies, helping with the technology so the sermons can be live-streamed and recorded and all of that, and the prayer meetings can happen. If you have that, why not help your pastor? Why not help the Bible study leaders to get that going? Or call someone and just pray for them over the phone or, or pray for the sick and then send them a message reminding and telling them I prayed for you. Uh, old people, single people, they they lonely. Call them and talk to them and encourage them. Uh, the elders, we have our elders meetings on Thursdays over Skype or WhatsApp and we pray together. We've got an elders prayer meeting. Why not, if, if your gift is to really have a heart for missions, why not send in information about the missionaries and then we pray for the missionaries. What about music? The people who are skilled in music, why not record a song and then send it to the congregation and send the words and the families can sing together? Or what about just asking people for prayer requests and then praying for those things? And then we've got, we've got visitation teams in our church. And I want to encourage you, you on the visitation teams, to call the people you are over. Call those people, call the people under you, the people who are part of your little flock, and encourage them. And then other ways, other ways. You can ask for wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom. What else can I do? So any way you can. Someone said, uh, and it wasn't John Wesley, by the way, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Why should we do it this way? Well, we shouldn't do it because we want people to praise us. <clears throat> we have nothing that we can boast about. God has given us the gifts. God gives us the strength to serve. God gives us the words to speak. It's God's congregation, it's His people, verse 10 and 11. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. It wasn't you who thought it up. One who serves by the strength God supplies. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, God gave the gift. So we have nothing to boast about. If we boast about and in ourselves, you like the cock, the rooster, as Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon said, you like a rooster... And he thinks that the sun rises every morning to listen to him crow. <laughs> How foolish. So why, why do we want to serve and why should we serve? No, we serve so that God will be glorified, verse 11b, in order that in everything God may be glorified. God must be glorified. The people who are served by you and who are helped by you, they must praise God. And the world, when they look at us and see how Christians love one another, they must praise God and see the good works and glorify our Father in heaven and see that we are disciples of Christ. And, and you yourself, you should praise God because He has given you an opportunity to serve and to be blessed because it's more blessed to give than to receive. And then he says in verse 11 uh, that God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means without Jesus we will serve, but it will be with selfish motives. And then all our service will be like filthy rags. It is unacceptable to God. It's rubbish. 
So even our spiritual gifts and the using of our spiritual gifts and even our praise that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, even our praise should be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Our service must be washed in the blood of the Lamb. So to Jesus and Jesus alone belongs the glory and the dominion, verse 11. Through Jesus Christ, to Him be glory and dominion. Not only here, in the church and on earth, but also in heaven. Not only throughout the whole of history, not only through all creation, but forever and ever. Verse 11. So why do we serve and how do we serve? In the church, we serve from His initiative, through His power, to His glory. That's the way we serve. And with His strength and by His power, we'll make it through lockdown, we'll make it through lockdown, and we'll still serve and we'll still love, and God will keep His church alive and keep it going. And even after this life, when this world is gone, then we will still praise Jesus, and we will praise Him forever. Verse 11, To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So never again, will there be lockdown. And never again will lockdown separate us from each other's Christian brothers and sisters. But forever we will be together as a family and we will be together with millions of other Christians, with Jesus as our head, and then we will love one another perfectly and serve one another. But of course that's only if you're going to heaven. If you're in hell... You will be in lockdown permanently. You will be in lockdown forever and ever. You'll be in lockdown, locked in a place, filled with hate, filled with hatred, and with no hope to ever escape. And I want to tell you, it's not necessary. It's unnecessary for you to go there. Jesus stretches out His hand. He stretches forth His hand this morning, saying to you, repent of your sins. Believe in the gospel. Trust that I died for sinners so that sinners can be forgiven. I died in the place of sinners. You do not need to be punished for your own sin. I bore the punishment on the cross. I was buried. I was raised from the dead. I am alive. I live forevermore. Come to me. I stretch forth my hand. Take my hand. All who are weary and heavy laden, take my hand. Become part of the family. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I do pray that you would work in hardened hearts, be they unbelievers or backsliders, change them, turn them to yourself, create new life in the dead, and strengthen the living. For Jesus' sake. Amen.